0: All right, y'all, this morning is November 2nd, and uh, the message this morning is called and saved for a purpose. Most of all of you know that a friend of mine, Gary uh, Williams, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, is being ordained this morning, and uh, I can't be there, but our topic's pretty similar. Uh, We're going to look at the life of Josiah, among some other things and see how God, before you were even born, had things that were planned for your life. But I was in worship this morning, and I was thinking about, uh, thinking about the call of God that was on my life. I wanted to read you all something that uh, a brother wrote me, and it blessed me, and I was thinking of Gary and how uh, this is true of Gary. It says, Born in the mind of God, birthed in the fullness of time, Raised in the surroundings that would shape us. Drawn by the power of the Spirit. Filled with His power. Trained by the hand of our Father. Molded by His fire. Armed with His weaponry. Called to the field prepared. Anointed by God. Attacked by our enemy. Victorious by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Boy, isn't that awesome? That sends chills down my uh, arms and legs. Jesus had you in mind and brought you forth in the fullness of time. And He's prepared you and He's molded you. And He's done those things for a specific task in your life. When I say specific task, I don't necessarily mean one thing. I mean for a specific purpose. Would you all turn with me to Ephesians? <clears throat> Beginning in Ephesians 2.1, We're going to examine that we're called and saved for a purpose. Ephesians two one. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. When we were disobedient in the past, it's because we were submitting to a spirit that was disobedient. We were submitting to a spirit that was in rebellion to God. That's how we used to be. And now we're not supposed to be that way. Because all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. Because you're born in transgression, and you're born in disobedience, you might have a tendency to think that that's your destiny. I mean, after all, you're born into a family many times that's wicked. You spend the first part of your life gratifying your sinful nature. You would think that that might be your destiny. But if you keep reading, it says, it is by grace you have been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So we're still on the the topic of transgression and then you get saved. But it looks like you were destined to be in transgression. Thank God for these last two verses. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that anyone can boast. Get this, this verse here. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Mandy, Jennifer, all, all of you, you were born in transgression, being disobedient. But God had a purpose on your life even before your birth, because He already had good works prepared in advance for you to do. So it was never His will that you stay in disobedience. Never His will that you stay in transgression. Each human being on the planet is born with a destiny in mind. They're born with... A calling to do certain good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. The harsh reality is most don't find their calling though. Most don't live up to what they were called to do. But we're not like that. We will spend our lives seeking that very thing which God has called us to do. Living as led by His Spirit, anointed for the day of battle so that we can be victorious in achieving God's purposes for our lives. It says, you're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. On that note, turn to Jeremiah 1.5. This is a verse that a lot of people have been critical of through the years as applying only to Jeremiah. And true enough, this verse was spoken to Jeremiah and does only apply to Jeremiah. But when you see the same principle being repeated through the word over and over and over, through multiple people in the word, then you can begin to open your eyes and realize, although that scripture applied to Jeremiah, the same principle is true to us. Jeremiah 1.5 says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you a point. I'm sorry, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now, that verse is not applicable to you and that you might not be a prophet to the nations. But what is applicable to you is that God had you in mind before you breached your mother's womb. He had you in mind with a calling set upon your life, a purpose for you to achieve, a reason for you to exist before you even came into the world. You know, suicide's highest among teens. Do you know why? Because that's an age in people's life when they're first beginning to question why they're here. You know, a, a six, seven, eight, nine-year-old, they don't, they don't question why they're here. They just play. They have a good time. They, the only thing in their life is they believe everybody was put here to entertain them. <laughs> but by the time people move into an adolescent age... They start to wonder what there is that's more to life. And because most people don't have a reassurance of the godly calling that's on their life, the reason for their existence, despair sets in. And they find a very permanent solution to a real temporary problem. We have to reach those people first. But Jeremiah was known in his mother's womb. If it's true for Jeremiah, do you think it's true of other godly people in the Word? How about Galatians? Flip there, hang a right. In Galatians 1, I'm only going through these other scriptures because so often when you hear that somebody was knit together in their mother's womb or something, we say, yeah, but that applies to the prophet he was speaking to. Well, it does, but you see it more in the Word than just to Jeremiah. You see it more than just to Isaiah or more than just to David. It's said to all of those people, but here here, listen to how Paul describes his calling. In Galatians 1, verse... Fourteen, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age, was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man. The calling of God came before you met any man. All men can do is help you realize the calling of God that is already on your life. So my friend Gary that's being ordained, there are men that are recognizing and helping him to realize the call of God that's on his life, but they didn't place it there. He didn't request it. He didn't write off to some bureaucracy in heaven and say, hey, I would like to do this. The call of God was on him from birth. He was set apart for it. It's just at a later time that he realizes what it is. But God has been molding him the entire time for it, shaping him by his fire. We have a tendency to look at our life that was B.C., the part of us before we became Christians, as an utter and total waste. Well, you can count your accomplishments as a total waste because Paul called his dung. But the truth is the sum total of the events in your life before Christ helped to shape you so that you would find Jesus. More than you would find Jesus, but that you'd be prepared to do what it is He called you to do. Have you ever wondered why He called the kind of man He did? He calls these two guys that are sons of Barnage, sons of thunder. Why do you think He called them? Because they'd be bold enough to do what God called them to do. And He calls people that are weak so that they can be filled with God's strength. And people can see that as well. He chose you both for the natural abilities he put in you and the lack of abilities that you have. And he knew it before you were born. Psalms 22, 9 and 10 speak of that about David. Don't go there. Psalm 71, 6 confirms it about David. Isaiah 44, 5 we will read. I didn't skip over those others for any reason than I'd like this to fit on one CD today. 44, verse 5. One will say, I belong to the Lord, and another will call himself by the name of Jacob. Still another will write on his hand the Lord's and will take... It. I'm not reading the right verse. It's not one in it, 44, one, or two? Yeah, it's 44, one and two. I don't know how I did that. But anyway, but now listen, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. This is what the Lord says, who made you and formed you in the womb and who will help you. Do not be afraid, O Jacob, my servant, Jesharon, whom I have chosen. And he said, but wait a minute, Eric, he's talking about a nation. Yeah, but he's using a man's name. He's using the name Jacob, who began the nation. You remember the prophecies over Jacob and Esau? I mean, before they were even born, God spoke about the two nations that were struggling in the womb and what their destinies would be. God has a destiny for your life. Now, here's the thing, though. It's not inescapable. You know, the idea of predestination is that you have a destiny and it's inescapable. So what difference does it make? No, God is destined that people be saved, but they don't reach their destiny. He's destined good things for all people, whosoever will call upon His name. But they don't reach that destiny. He destined Israel to be saved. It's absolutely clear from Romans 8. But all Israel has not yet been saved. Jews go to hell. They go to hell every day. They're going to hell by the boatload as we speak. They're not reaching their destiny. And not all of us reach our destiny. We must strive to reach our destiny. In Luke one thirteen through sixteen, you hear words spoken over John the Baptist before he was even born. That he'd be filled from the from the womb with the Holy Spirit. The things that he would do in the nation they were spoken over him before he was born. Now all of that is because Ephesians two verse ten says that God prepared good works for you to do in advance. And if John the Baptist didn't do it, God would have raised up another who did. But that was God's will for John the Baptist. One of the last times I was in Baton Rouge, a couple came to me and they said, Hey, you prophesied thus and so. Well, why did this happen? You know, in other words it turned out to not not God's will's not always done. I apparently prophesied to a lady about her calling who later committed suicide. Well, that's because the devil's will was done in her life, not God's will. But what a happy day it is when you realize what God's will is for your life. You begin to see the scope and the form of the works that He's prepared in advance for you to do. And you set out to accomplish that. Realizing that your whole life has brought you to that point. What a happy place. You no longer have to just go to work or just live some meaningless existence. All of a sudden you realize you were born for a purpose. Boy, that's an awesome thing. When you're equipped with your calling and you know who you are and you are being and have been prepared to do it, all of a sudden life is worth living. So this is not just for those who are being ordained. All of you were ordained. Ordination's just a recognition that somebody's in the five-fold ministry. But everybody is in the full-time service of Jesus, full-time Christian ministry. Everybody is. Or they're missing their calling. In Acts 17, there are some familiar scriptures. I had thought that there would be a couple of people here today that this was not familiar to. So, we'll touch on this, but I won't go into the depth that you might have heard me do this at other times. In Acts seventeen sixteen, you see that Paul's in Athens. Does anybody remember who Epimedes is? No. Paul quotes a poet coming up and he, he, he quotes several uh, Greek poets. But one of the ones that Paul quotes in this chapter is a man named Epimedes. Now, Paul is here sometime in the first century. Okay, I, I don't know because I didn't look it up, but I would imagine it's around the year 60 AD. 300 years before that in Athens, there was a crisis, a God-ordained crisis, a crisis that happened for a specific purpose. And the Athenians could not solve it. There was a plague that was killing people and they couldn't figure out what it was and they sacrificed to all of their gods. And they could not bring about a change. So they sent off to other lands to see if there was anybody that had the wisdom to stop this plague. And a Cretan... Now, y'all know the term Cretan today is not a good thing, right? If somebody's a Cretan, you're talking about somebody who's a sluggard, somebody who is a mindless brute. Indeed, Paul said negative things about the Cretans in the Bible. But God sent a Cretan to the Athenians. Now, isn't that just like God to ordain somebody who you would not want to receive from to bring you the truth? That's why he uses kid preachers. It's why he uses men of a foreign tongue or a different color skin to bring the gospel to other people. The very concept of missions work is that you, a foreigner, are bringing the truth from the outside inside because it requires a humbling of the people to be able to receive it. Are you all with me? You understand what I'm saying? So Epimedes, a foreigner, comes. All the wise men in Athens could not solve this problem. But Epimedes does. And he reasons, he says, if you've sacrificed all your gods and it hadn't worked, there must be a god you don't know about, a god unknown to you. And then he teaches them about this. They sacrifice to this unknown God, and it's it's a fairly elaborate story about how God separated sheep on Mars Hill that we don't need to go into now. But the bottom line is Epimedes led these people out of the plague. So they set up an altar to the unknown God. But as time went by they forgot about the altar. It became unkempt. Grass grew up around it, and it was forgotten. Then in Paul's day, just prior to Paul coming, somebody found this altar that had been left abandoned. And they freshened it up. They whitened it again. They re-engraved it. They did all of those things so that it would be noticeable again. Just in time for God's appointed, ordained man to show up in Athens and say, man, I see that you're religious in every way. And I'm here to point out to you, about the God that you don't know that I see a monument to there. God set up the event 300 years before Paul got there so that there would be some hint in their culture that Paul could refer to where they would be reached. Not only did God ordain your birth, not only did God prepare and advance things for you to do, He's also been working to manipulate the circumstances of your life so that you will reach out and find Him. That's what Acts 17:26 says. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. What I'm saying is this, God determined that you would be born in a specific time. He determined good works that He desired for you to do in advance. And then He put events in the lives of your parents, in the lives of your grandparents, in your life, so that you would be in a position to reach out and find Him. Are you all following me so far? If God ordained those things for your life, then it stands to reason He's ordained those things for other people's lives. It's our job to discover them. It's our job to discover what events are in Carlos and Dolores' life that we can minister to them about that will cause them to have a deeper relationship with God or with Bill or with Stacy or with any of you. That's our job as good ministers of the Gospel. Realizing this is an important part of your calling. I told you all we would study Josiah. Josiah. So let's get into Josiah's life. Let's see what we can learn about the call of God on your life from Josiah. You want to turn to 1 Kings 13 first. Now, I've taught on the man of God from Judah in this group. The man of God from Judah is a fairly complex story and I I love it. But... Here we're going to see another event that God did 290 years before its fulfillment for the purpose of fulfilling a calling and reaching the mark in somebody's life. Just like Epimedes went to Athens to solve a problem, and then later Paul came, used that as an example to teach the people, here in Kings 13, we have the man of God from Judah going at a time of civil war in Israel's history to preach to Jeroboam, son of Nebat. And he rebukes him. And he cries out against the altar on which Jeroboam is sacrificing that it's cursed, that it will be broken apart and human bones will be burned on it. And listen to what he says in 13.1. By the word of the Lord, a man of God came from Judah to Bethel, as Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make an offering. He cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord. O altar, altar, this is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. On you he will sacrifice the priest of the high places who now make offerings here, and human human bones will be burned on you. Friends, this is 290 years before Josiah ever lived. And God is declaring it in advance. He's declaring to all the people of Samaria in the beginning of the rebellion from God, during the time they're breaking away from the house of David, and they're breaking away from the command of God, God sends a prophet. And He tells them, this is sin, and there's going to be human bones sacrificed on this altar because of it. And He even names the guy. His name's going to be Josiah. You know what Josiah means? Helped by the Lord. Headed by the Lord. Healed by the Lord. Supported by the Lord. Or saved by the Lord. That's what every man is who is called. He's supported. He's headed. He's healed. He's saved by the Lord. If you're called of God, it doesn't matter what you're called to do. God is your support. He's your shield, your rampart, your very great reward, David said. Because He's called you to do something. And as a friend of mine said at one time, if the Lord orders it, He'll pay for it. Well, if the Lord's ordered you to do something, He'll give you the provision to cause it to come about. But what I want you to get from this verse is 290 something years, nearly 300 years before Josiah was born, God had said somebody named Josiah will come and do this thing. Now we're going to read about Josiah's life. And I want to tell you something. Josiah did not know this was prophesied. He didn't know. He came along at a time in Israel's history where they were so degraded. They had gone so far in the decadence of the flesh's desires. They had been so reprobate in their thinking that they were worshipping other gods more than our God and they had lost His law. You know... Have you ever been in a place where you couldn't find your Bible? That's a panic, isn't it? Because it's important to us. But you know, there's houses all over this country where there's Bibles that somebody gave them when they were baptized. Or a Gideon gave them one time. Or they stole from a hotel. Who knows how it got there? But there's a Bible and they couldn't find it to save their own life. Literally. Because it's just not important. Josiah came along at a point in Israel's history where the Word of God was in the temple, hidden. The people hadn't brought it out to read it in so long that nobody knew where it was. Turn to 2 Kings 22. One of the things that people say hinders them and keeps them from realizing what they were called to do is that they were born to wicked families. You know? How could I be called of God? I mean, my parents never went to church. Their parents never went to church. My father beat me. I was abused. Whatever it was. In 2 Kings 21, 20 through 21, you see that the father, you don't have to turn there, you see that the father of Josiah was a man named Amnon. He was wicked. The grandfather of Josiah, Amnon's dad, was Manasseh. He was perhaps one of the most wicked kings that there had ever been in Israel. You can read about him in Second Kings twenty one. In fact, let's let's I want you to hear what it says about him. It's worth seeing. In verse two. Second Kings twenty one, verse two. This is speaking of Manasseh. This is the grandfather of Josiah. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. In other words, the land was so bad during the time Joshua did his conquest in Israel that God had Joshua displace all of those nations. Well, the holy nation God was supposed to bring in now has a king that is so bad that he's doing all the things the previous nations got thrown out for. Do y'all remember what those things were? Just to to name a few, they sacrificed their kids in the fire to Molech. They practiced bestiality. If you don't know what that is, look it up. Okay, The nations that were there before Israel practiced bestiality. Well, this king was guilty of the same things that the nations before him did. They worshipped... The starry host, the Bible says. Well, check out verse 6 of 21. He sacrificed his own son in the fire, practiced sorcery and divination, and consulted mediums and spiritists. How about verse 9? But the people did not listen. Manasseh led them astray, so that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. Manasseh not only was so bad that he was equal to the Canaanites there before. He went beyond it. He sacrificed his kids in the fire just like they did, but then he was even more wicked. So did Josiah come from a godly lineage? You know, I found that God will take people from the most unlikely sources. So that Paul says, not many of you were of noble birth. God calls the small things. To confound the wisdom of the wise. So Josiah's father was wicked. Josiah's father, there's not a lot said about him in the Bible. His name was, uh, I can't, I've can't. i been saying Amnon and that's not right. It's Amon A-M-O-N. And all it says about him was he did the same wicked things his father did. That's another principle that you need to know. Most children practice the same wicked things their parents do. They live up to their parents calling on their life. Not God's calling on their life. But every once in a while, somebody realizes from a tender age because their heart is responsive to God. I'm talking about my buddy Gary Williams. For all of the things that somebody might criticize Gary for, he's got the most responsive heart of anybody that I think I've ever been around. He's quick to tears, not because he's a pansy, but because his heart is soft. He's quick to try to change because his heart is soft. That is an admirable thing. You want to find favor with God? Have a responsive heart and we're going to see that Josiah did. But Josiah's father was wicked. His grandfather was wicked. But you know what? You know who his great grandfather was? It's in Second Kings 18. It's a man named Hezekiah. Now Hezekiah was godly. Friends, it doesn't matter how dim your situation looks. There's somebody in your family line that prayed for their, for their progenitory. I pray right now for Judah's children's children. Jennifer and I prayed for our children before we were ever having kids. If you look back in my own family line, there have got to have been godly people because God always reserves a remnant. And you know what? That remnant's prayer can make a difference. Hezekiah prayed for his offspring. So that even though Josiah's grandfather was wicked, and his father was wicked, you know what? His father married a woman that was godly. So Josiah's mother was godly. You know what her name was? Y'all should have done your homework. No. Her name was Jedediah. Can you think of anybody else named Jedediah in the Bible? I'll give you a hint. There you go. You didn't even need the hint. That's 2 Samuel 12, 25. Solomon found favor with God, and because the Lord loved him, he named him Beloved, Jedediah. Now, it's interesting to note Solomon never went by that name. I don't know why. But Josiah's mother's name was Jedediah. She was Beloved of the Lord. Now, when I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about godly people, and their callings, I couldn't help but think of Timothy. Timothy had a calling on his life. Look at Second Timothy one five. And like Josiah, he had something. Although Timothy's father was not a man of God, Timothy had a mother and a grandmother who were godly. And listen how Paul addresses him in First Timothy. I'm sorry, Second Timothy one five. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. What I'm trying to say is this. You may look at your family and see all of the wickedness or the nation that you come from and see wickedness. But God has always reserved a remnant even within your own family of people who called out to God. And you mothers out there, you women who will be mothers, one woman who prays, one woman has more influence over her children than an entire nation and an entire lineage of wicked fathers because that mother has a bond with her child that nobody else can touch. The faith lived in the grandmother and then in the mother and was passed right on down to the son. When Josiah's life his father and his grandfather were wicked but he had a godly mother so from the age of 8 years old we'll see in second kings 22 from the age of 8 years old his heart was right before god now what is 8 the number of in the bible new beginning everybody who is called is called into a new beginning. You must be born again. My friend Gary, I heard him preach at a funeral. could not have been easy for him to do. And if he said you must be born again once, he said it a hundred times because that is something that's in his heart. He knows he's called to feed the sheep. That's what Jesus spoke to him was that he would feed the sheep. Kind of like Jesus spoke to Peter. Gary's a pastor in his heart. He wants to feed the sheep. But he knows that the place to start is a new beginning. You've got to be born again. So as we're looking at the pattern in Josiah's life, one of the first things you need to know is that eight years old, it signifies a new beginning. When you're called, you will have a new life as you realize you're calling. Look at Second Kings 22, 1 through 5. It says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. So get that. He started at 8. That makes him 39 when he died. He reigned from the age of 8 to 39. His mother's name was Jedidiah, daughter of Adadiah. She was from Bozkath. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. What a compliment! This kid walked in the ways of God. He didn't turn aside to the right or the left. Josiah, you're going to read about towards the end of his life, he said to have been the most godly king in Israel. Now, who was his father? I've told you all several times, who was his father? Amon. But who does the Bible just now say his father was? Friends, you are the child of who you act like. You may have come from something wicked, but if you act godly, then God will declare you to be the children of righteousness. Now, you may have come from something righteous, but if you act wicked, he will declare you to be the child of wickedness and perversion. So that kings, even if their father was godly, if they were wicked, said that they walked in the ways of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, because he was wicked. But kings, even if their father was wicked, if they were godly, said, oh, no, they walked in the ways of David. You are the child of whoever you act like. So the first part of your high calling is that you begin again. Like when you're eight years old, it's a new beginning and it is to act like your father. Everyone who is called must be born again. And the first thing that you are supposed to do is begin to act like your father in heaven. Thank you. In 2 Kings 22, verse 10, we're going to see something else. All men who are called, everybody who is truly called of God will be trained. Now, this kid had a responsive heart. He was born again at the age of eight years old, for sure. But in 22, verse 10, we'll pick up and read about his training. Then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah the priest, has given me a book, and Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. Now, what I skipped, and I I didn't mean to, is that when this kid was eight years old, and he begins following God, he has a desire, an unyielding desire to repair the temple of God. Because when you're born again, the first thing you want to do is you want to edify the church. You want to be a blessing to those people that are around you. I got hung up on the feed the sheep thing a while ago because that's what this is. The first thing that happens in Josiah's life after he's born again is that he gets a desire to repair the temple. You see that in the uh, fifth verse, which I didn't read. You remember I read down to David? turning aside to the right or left. Then listen to this. It says, In the 18th year of his reign, so he's 24 years old, King Josiah sent the secretary Shaphan, son of Azaliah and the son of Meshulam, to the temple of the Lord. He said, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, and have him get ready the money that has been brought into the temple of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have collected for the people. Have them entrust it to the men and appoint them to supervise the work on the temple. He's born again and immediately he begins building the body of Christ. But in order to build the body of Christ properly, first, you have to be born again. Second, you have to have the desire to do so. Third, you have to be trained. That's where I was going with the tenth verse. Then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king Hilkiah, the priest has given me a book, and Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest, Acham son of Shaphan, Achor son of Micaiah, Shaphan the secretary, and Aziah the king's attendant. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all of Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. Now let me sum this up for you. The boy at eight years old has a desire for God. By the time he's 24, he's becoming a man. His desire is to feed the church, is to repair the temple. But in order for him to be able to be useful to God, he has to be trained. So God has ordained that the book of the law that has been ignored for centuries now be found. And Shaphan, the secretary, finds it. He reads the book, which is probably Deuteronomy, to the king. And the king tears his robes. When he finds out what God requires of the people and he's instructed in the ways of the Lord and finds out that he hasn't been doing it and the nation hasn't been doing it, he sets his heart to do it. That is what you guys are doing right now. You're being prepared. You're finding out what God requires of you. You're being equipped to perform your calling. At eight years old, he had a new beginning. At 24 years old, he gets the desire... then He's instructed or He's trained. Now, the next thing that has to accompany your training, because you know, you can have all the knowledge of the Word in the world and you can have good desire. You can desire to do good things for Jesus and be trained, but that's not enough. Second Kings 22. I think it's verse 16. Let's see. No, verse... uh 19. Well, you know what? We will start in 16, so it'll make sense. As he hears the instruction of the Lord, listen to how he responds. This is what the Lord says. This is 22.16. I'm going to bring disaster on this place and its people according to everything written in the book the king of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and provoked me to anger by all their idols that their hands have made. My anger will burn against this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord. This is what the God of Israel says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they would become accursed and laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your fathers and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see the disaster I'm going to bring on this place. What happens is this kid at 8 is born again. At 24, he gets the desire and he starts to repair the temple. Then, as they're repairing the temple, they find a book so that he can be trained in the ways of the Lord. When, once he's trained in the ways of the Lord, he's smart enough to say, is there a prophet around? They say, yeah, there's a, there's a female prophetess. Her name's Holdup. Go see her. So he sends somebody to see her. She says, God saw that your heart was responsive. If you're called, you not only have to be born again, you not only have to have the desire to build the church, you not only have to be trained, your heart has to be responsive. Because without a responsive heart, you get off track and can never get back on. All the training in the world is of no value to you if your heart's not responsive to the commands of God. In fact, I would take ignorance and a responsive heart over much knowledge and a heart that can't change. Everybody who's called has to have a responsive heart. What I love because he had a responsive heart is you see, starting in chapter 23, verse 1, it says, Then the king, now that he's born again, has got the desire, he's trained, and he has a responsive heart. Listen to what he does. Then the king called together all the Isra- all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the men of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. That's one thing: God will, if you are called, he'll provide the crowd. Now I say that preaching to a handful here, but it's the handful that God has called. Because this man was king, he was able to call the greatest to the least. That was his station. Your station as you're called, trained, prepared, all those things, might be to preach in a church with sawdust floors. Or it might be to preach in a marble palace. Whatever you're called to do, God will provide for that. This man was called to bring the repentance of a nation. So he was able to assemble the entire nation. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar, and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord, to follow the Lord and keep His commands, regulations and decrees with all His heart and all His soul. Thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. When you have been born again, when you've been given a God-given desire to build a church, to build His church, not necessarily a church, when you have been trained... And when your heart has been found to be responsive, then you begin the work of God. Every person's work, every person's good works prepared in advance for them to do, revolves around one thing. Seeing people make a pledge of a good conscience towards God as they hear God's Word. And that's exactly what Josiah did. The problem with the pledge of a good conscience, the problem with calling people to salvation, is that there's a force you have to contend with. So every man of God has to contend for the faith. You'll see from the fourth verse on, Josiah contended for the faith. Listen to what he did after the people pledged, they made their covenant. The king ordered Hilkiah, the high priest, the priest next in rank and the doorkeepers to remove from the temple of the Lord all the articles made for Baal and Asherah and all the starry hosts. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron Valley and took the ashes to Bethel. Y'all remember that's the Kidron Valley. I want to tell y'all something about that. He did away with the pagan priest appointed by the kings of Judah to burn incense on the high places of the towns of Judah and on those all around Jerusalem who burned incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, to the constellations, and to the starry host. He took the Asherah pole from the temple of the Lord to the Kidron Valley outside Jerusalem and burned it there. He ground it to powder and scattered the dust over the graves of the common people. He also tore down the quarters of the male shrine prostitutes, which were in the temple of the Lord, where the women did weaving for Asherah. Are y'all hearing all that was going on? Did Josiah contend for the faith? Yeah, after He preached the Word to the people and they made a pledge, He went about destroying everything that could harm the people. When you're called, you must be born again. When you're called, you're born again. You get a desire to edify the church. When you get that desire to edify the church, God has to prepare you for it. As He's preparing you, He finds that your heart is responsive to His Word, so He releases you to your work. Your work is to see people make a pledge towards God. But your work doesn't stop there. You must disciple people. You must teach people what is wrong. You must try to destroy the work of the enemy. Because that's the reason 1 John 3 says the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Now when he tore down these things, where did he take them? What did I tell you to remember? The Kidron Valley. Well, in Mark... I believe it's Mark 9... Let me turn there. I didn't write it down. In Mark 9, about uh, 47. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. For it is better to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Do you know what that word hell is there? It's Gehenna. Which is in the Kidron Valley. It's one end of the Kidron Valley. When Jesus said hell, most of the time in the New Testament, he referred to it as Gehenna. You know why? It was a natural place. It was a garbage dump in the Kidron Valley, where the Jews, who knew that the Ashra poles and all of those things had been cut down and thrown into that place, they used it as a sewer and a place for refuse. And it was burned there day and night so that he says it will be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and fire is not quenched. Jesus taught them with a natural example so that they would see. So what did Josiah do? He tore down these demonic works and he put them in hell where they belonged. He put them in the valley of Hinnom, the Kidron Valley. He put them in the place that would come to symbolize Hell. That's what we need to do. We need to expose the works of darkness for what they are and cause them to be equated with hell. Guys, that's not just an Asherah pole. That is the fire of hell you've allowed into your heart in life. Get rid of it. Y'all see what I mean? Back to 2 Kings 22. Let's continue with Josiah uh, contending for the faith. Josiah brought all of the priests from the towns of Judah and desecrated the high places. These high places were not high places to God. From Gibeah to Beersheba, where the priest had burned incense, he broke down the shrines at the gate, at the entrance to the gate of Joshua, the city governor, which is on the left of the city gate. Although the priest of the high places did not serve at the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, They ate unleavened bread with their fellow priest. He desecrated Topheth, which was in the valley of ben Honon, so no one could use it to sacrifice his son or daughter in the fire to Molech. See, as you are born again, as you have a desire to edify the church, as you are prepared for that task, As God finds your heart responsive and you set out to win people's consciences towards God, one of the things you have to do is break down the foreign altars. You have to equate them with hell so that people who don't know any better don't sacrifice their sons on the altar of idolatry. Think about that in a practical sense. It's not enough for me to win Carlos and Dolores to Jesus. It's not enough for Gary to do that. If he does not also, and I do not also, teach them how to keep their kids from going to hell. So that their kids don't get sacrificed on the altar to idolatry. Discipleship is an important part of the calling. And you can't disciple unless you've been trained. Which is why that step had to be before it. And you can't train people if your heart is not right. You'll be too harsh to them. Or you'll be too lenient. You have to have a heart that's responsive from God. That's why the man of God called and ordained of God is years in the making. God does not entrust the novice with sheep. He won't do it. Now, I'm not speaking to you as one who's arrived. I've been entrusted with a small few, probably because that's all I can handle. But if I'm faithful over the small few, He'll add to me whatever else I need. Verse 11. He removed from the entrance to the temple of the Lord the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun. They were in the court near the room of an official named Nathan melech Josiah then burned the chariots dedicated to the sun. He pulled down the altars the kings of Judah had erected on the roof near the upper room of Ahaz and the altars Manasseh had built in the two courts of the temple of the Lord. Do you remember... Wednesday, we were talking about traditions that were held in higher honor than God's Word. Josiah caused a revival in Israel the like of which they had never seen. He tore down the traditions of the men who went before him. It didn't bother him that all the kings before him had allowed these horses to be there, these chariots to be there, these high places to be there. He tore them down because he knew it wasn't what God wanted. Do you think that caused a ruckus in Israel? I assure you it did. The same way when men who are called and ordained to tear down the false teachings of the church today will cause a ruckus. And I don't care how long it's been there. Whether it goes back to John Wesley himself or Martin Luther himself. If it's wrong, we're called to tear it down. And we tear it down so that people can make their good pledge of a conscience towards God and not be hindered by wrong teaching. Verse 13, the king also desecrated the high places that were east of Jerusalem on the south of the hill of corruption. The one Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the vile goddess of the Sidonians, for Chemosh, the vile god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of Ammon. Josiah smashed the sacred stones and cut down the Asherah poles and covered the sites with human bones. Even the altar at Bethel, the high place made by Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who had caused Israel to sin, even that altar and high place he demolished. He burned the high place and ground it to powder and burned the Asherah pole also. Then Josiah looked around and when he saw the tombs that were there on the hillside, he had the bones removed from them and burned on the altar to defile it in accordance with the word the Lord had proclaimed by the man of God who foretold these things. Get this. If you are born again, if your desire is to complete your calling, if you are then prepared like Josiah and instructed in the ways of the Lord, then if God finds your heart to be responsive and you set out for the work, tearing down everything that would hinder the work, without even knowing it, you will reach the mark God intended for you to hit. You will accomplish your destiny. Do you all remember we read 1 Kings 13.22? And what did it say? A son named Josiah would come and defile this altar. Well, in the 17th verse, you find out Josiah didn't do this because he knew he was called to. He was doing what he was his calling, what his desires were, and he accomplished the very purpose he was born for. Verse 17, The king asked, what is this tombstone I see? The men of the city said, it marks the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and pronounced against this altar of Bethel the very things you have done to it. Leave it alone, he said. Don't let anyone disturb his bones. So they spared the bones of the prophet who had come from Samaria. Josiah did not go to Samaria to fulfill the purpose of God on his life knowingly. He went fulfilling the desires God had given him. He went in the commission of God. And he therefore accomplished what God spoke 290 something years before he was born, he would do. See, we somehow worry about missing God's will. Well, now I'm called, I'm set out, I'm ordained. What do I do? You do what God has put in your heart to do. If it's as simple as raise up people and change lives like it is me or feed sheep, or whatever it is, you do what God's called you to do. And you know what? The very specific purpose that He brought you into being for, you will find yourself accomplishing. Just like Paul was walking through Athens, and he saw the altar that Epimedes set up 300 years before, Josiah is now in Samaria, destroying the devil's work, and looks and sees the tomb. To the man of God who came and prophesied. And he says, hey, what is this? And then his instructors around him said, this is the guy who said you would do all of these things. What a great feeling in life to realize that you are accomplishing all that God called you to do. That is the aim, the purpose of every man of God. That is, that is what you should set your heart on. And it only comes through the preparation. It only comes from being born again. It only comes with a responsive heart. After the 17th verse, you hear about something that is the crowning achievement in Josiah's life. You see it in the 21st verse. It says, The king gave this order to all the people. Celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in the book of the covenant. Not since the days of the judges who led Israel, nor throughout the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah had any such Passover been served. But in the 18th year of Josiah, this Passover was celebrated to the Lord in Jerusalem. If you are born again, if you have a desire To build up the church. Not build up yourself. Not your own name. But the church. Like Josiah repaired the temple. If you are willing to be prepared by God. As Josiah was instructed by Shaphan the secretary. And Huldah the prophetess. If God finds your heart to be responsive. If you are aware of the work that God's called you to do. Seeing people saved. If you contend for the faith by tearing down the false altars. You will hit the mark God called you to hit. Like Josiah did, when he found himself fulfilling God's prophecy without even knowing it, and the best part is, you will bear fruit 30, 60 and a hundredfold. Because Josiah did what he was called to do, there was a Passover in Israel, the likes of which had not been seen since before the judges. That goes all the way back to Moses. Passover had not been done so well since Moses' day. Is that fruit? Oh, you better believe it. Passover is the thing that teaches about Jesus. His great-grandfather Hezekiah did a Passover and the writer ignores it here. He said even Hezekiah's Passover was not like this. Even Solomon or David or any of the other Passovers that may have been done were not as good as Josiah's. What a thing to be said. When you're reaching the end of your life, and you look back over the years that you're performing your calling, how would you like to have fulfilled a prophecy that was 290 years old? And then look out and see the reward of your fruitful labor was that the entire nation was celebrating a Passover to God. That's the equivalent of seeing the whole nation saved. Is that amazing? Still, that's not the greatest. The greatest part is what's said in the 25th verse. Neither before nor after Josiah was there ever a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all of his heart, with all of his soul, and with all of his strength in accordance with all the laws of Moses. What I want to preach to you this morning is this. That you were called. You were called before you were even born. God prepared good works for you to do in advance. He's been manipulating circumstances of your life to cause you to reach out and find that calling. Not only that, you are a part of fulfilling the circumstances in other people's life, just as Epimedes was, Paul was, Josiah was, and the man of God from Judah were. Once you have been born again, you are to start in a new beginning. All of your desires should center around building up the church, not your own name, not your ministry, not your calling, not anybody else's. It should be building up the church of the living God. If that's where your heart's desire is, God will see that you get training. If He has to cause people to make archaeological discoveries for you to get the training that you need, He will do it. If He has to use a female prophet, because there are no male prophets, He will do it. He will see to it that you get the instruction that you should have. Once you have been in the place where you've received instruction, He will require you to prove that your heart is responsive. It is not enough for you to know about God. You must sincerely love like God loves or you are not qualified to perform your calling. After you've proven that your heart is responsive and you've been trained and you've been born again and your desire is to edify the church, you begin your calling. Everybody's calling is centered in one thing. Teaching people to obey the Word of God. That's what Josiah did very first thing. He called all of Israel together. Now remember, the people that listen to you, your audience is determined by God. Josiah was the king of Judah, so Judah listened to him. Your audience will be determined by God. In performing your calling, teaching people the Word, teaching people to obey... And you remember, that was the Great Commission. You go into all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey. Once you're doing that, you will have to contend for the faith. Paul told Timothy to beware of scoffers that would come in the last days. He told him in his second letter the same thing. Josiah had to go around and tear down Asherah poles, show that an Asherah pole was the equivalent of the fires of hell by putting it in hell. You will be responsible for pointing out false doctrine. Paul told Timothy, You would be a good minister of the gospel if you point these things out. I'm not just talking to fivefold ministry here. All of you have children. All of you have relatives. It works the same way. In addition to contending for the faith, while you're doing that, you will find that you hit the specific purpose that you were born for. It may be to witness to one person. It may be to give a bicycle to a man in Korea, in Seoul, Korea, or to give him a bowl of rice. And you do that, and he begins the largest church in the world because he had been praying that God would do that, like Paul Young Cho and the one woman who tithed the bowl of rice and gave him a bicycle. You never know. In Josiah's case, it was to destroy an altar. That had been prepared in advance and you have things prepared in advance for you to do. As you contend for the faith, you won't have to look for them. It'll just happen. If you contend for the faith and you do all of the other things, you will produce fruit. You'll hit your mark because you already proved you had the responsive heart. God will show you how to do it. Josiah got the results he was after. If you contend for the faith and you hit your mark, all that's left for you when you see Jesus is, wow, there's never been another like you who served me with their whole heart, not turning to the left or the right. Boy, what an accolade. That's the well done, my good and faithful servant, that we all hope to hear. But it only comes through those other steps. So what we're going to concentrate today on, what we're going to remember is that your life was not the choosing of your parents. It was not the result of a husband's will. It was the choosing of God's. And therefore, your life does not belong to you. It belongs to God. And since you know that God has prepared for you things to do in advance, we need to be seeking them out. We need to be being prepared. We need to be training our heart to be what is responsive because our goal is to build the church, the worldwide church of God. As we do that, we must contend for the faith. You have to be willing to fight. You have to be willing to be singled out. You have to be willing to be ridiculed. Josiah was, and because of it, he bore fruit. And you will too. And when it's all said and done, like Josiah, we want to go down leaving a legacy, a history, that says, that guy loved the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, which fulfills all the law of God. If we do that, then we'll be good ministers, good servants of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not just for fivefold ministry. That's for any servant of the gospel. You know, even the term fivefold ministry, it comes out of Ephesians and it's, it's real, okay? But that's the government of the church. It's not to imply that all Christians aren't called to do all of those things. They just may not be in the government of the church. Stephen's calling was to wait on tables. And he preached powerfully. He contended for the faith powerfully. And he saw great fruit. It was because of him Saul got saved. But he wasn't in the five-fold ministry. Y'all stand up. We're going to pray.